0: Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am super excited to have Kelvin Chin back on the program to talk about his new book. Kelvin is an author, meditation teacher, and life-after-life expert. His first book, Overcoming the Fear of Death, through each of the four main belief systems, is a bestseller. His second book, Marcus Aurelius updated 21st Century Meditations, On Living Life is a collection of 67 essays ranging from emotions, life principles, meditation, and the spiritual. His third book, After the Afterlife, Memories of My Past Life, which is what lives is what we're going to talk about a little bit today, describes in detail how his past life memories have reached back 6,000 years. And interestingly, they've resurfaced over the past 45 years. And what they've taught him about himself, how our mind and how our minds continue that we're still us from lifetime to lifetime. He's the executive director and founder of the Turning Within Meditation and Overcoming the Fear of Death Foundations. He is a graduate of Dartmouth, Yale and Boston College Law, and he has lived in seven countries. So welcome back to the program, Kelvin.
1: Great to see you again, Marl. Thank you. Yeah,
0: it's great to see you. So yeah, today, like we talked about, um, if anyone wants to listen to quite a few of the past lives that Kelvin talks about in his book, I suggest you go to my good friend, Dr. Lottie's podcast. Um, I will put her podcast name in the show notes. I'm I'm spacing it. Do you, Kelvin, what what's her podcast name? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great name, anyway, Doctor Lade. I will put it in my show notes. Um, so, I just want to go in a little bit of a different direction. Um, so, how did this, how did this journey begin with you about experiencing these past lives? But well, let's start, you know, back in the beginning with your childhood.
1: Yeah. So, um, I grew up in a science-oriented family, so that's probably the most important thing for people who don't know me, uh, probably most important first thing to know about me is that I had a very scientist-oriented family background upbringing. So my family was not into what we call spiritual stuff. Uh, I went to church. I didn't really pay attention, to be honest. Um, I I, did my, I had to go because my parents said they had to go to Sunday school. So I went. Um, you know, I was... I didn't misbehave, but I didn't remember a lot from that. That's not where any of this really came from. Um, So I was not a really believe, I didn't even believe in afterlife. I didn't believe in heaven or, you know, we talked about heaven in church school, of Mm -hmm. course. I went to a Christian Protestant Mm -hmm. congregational church. Um, But I always thought it was just kind of fantasy stuff talking about, to be honest, as a kid growing up. But what happened was I learned to meditate, not because of spiritual stuff, but because I I was stressed out. And I learned to meditate when I was a teenager. And um, it really helped me with my anxiety, get past my anxiety that I was going through at the time, which was very severe for me when I was in college at, at Dartmouth College, as you know. And it was very stressful. That's what got me into spirituality, but not because I wanted to get into spirituality. It got me into it because I started opening up and my mind started experiencing itself in a different way that those of your listeners who meditate know what I'm talking about. And so that started opening the door up for me, but it took many, about six, eight years before my past life stuff started opening up.
0: Interesting. And um, in terms of the meditation, you dove deeply. I mean, you're a world-renowned meditation teacher now. And tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I learned because I was anxious. And uh, what attracted me, because I was pre-med at the time. So I was into science, as we already said. And I was pre-med. And when I heard the lecturer talking about some initial brand new studies, medical studies that were being done on meditation by a Harvard Medical School professor down in Boston, that got my attention. My ears perked up. So interestingly enough, about six or eight months later, I was a test subject in those first medical studies in 1971, 1972, um, done by this uh, Harvard uh, cardiologist anyway. That's what got me into the meditation. Um, I started. I studied with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who is the Indian guru who most people know because the Beatles learned meditation from him, transcendental meditation, and all that. I was an international leader, as you kind of uh, alluded to uh, in his organization for about ten years. I taught all over the world. I taught the first meditation courses in the history of West Point Military Academy. Uh, on all the Army bases, U.S. Army bases in Korea, up on the DMZ, the Air Force bases, corporations, schools around the United States and in Europe and, and elsewhere. So I've been teaching meditation for 50 years now. I've taught wow. thousands of people. So that's how I got into it. Um, their organization went this way, and I thought, you know, I, I want to stay teaching, focus on meditation. So we kind of parted ways after about 10 years. Um But uh, that's really, I think, meditation is what accelerated me. And I don't think it, I tell people, they say, do I have to meditate in order to, you know, open up past life memories? I said, no, I have lots of clients who don't meditate and they have past life memories. But I think it accelerated it for me. I think for sure it accelerated it, yeah.
0: So people who are not really familiar about we've we've had people in the show talk about, you know, past life um, regressions and and people taking them into that experience. What was your first experience like and how did you feel about it? I mean, when was the aha moment that you realized this stuff is like really true and it was affecting you?
1: Yeah, the, the first time, the, well, as I said, I was a science-oriented person. Yeah. I was not a spiritual or religious person. Um, and so the first experience I had was a dream. It was a nightmare, actually. It, wasn't a, it was not a pleasant dream. It was a nightmare, a very upsetting, emotionally upsetting dream that I didn't know had anything to do with past lives. That was my very first experience that, you know, looking back, six months, eight months later, I realized that had, that was a connect connection to my, to the, to the subsequent experience I had. This was 1977. Um, and I was on a, a, a long two month, I had already been on a long six month of the year earlier, but I'd are, but in 1977, I was on a two month, uh, retreat meditation retreat all day every day meditating all day every day basically except for meals and go for a walk every once a couple times a day so that was it and in one of the group meditations that we would have um we're sitting on these foam pieces of foam on the ground and the furniture's all cleared out of the the dining room of the hotel we were in over in switzerland and um to about 75 of us in there having a group meditation and we're doing energy uh, movement exercises, you know, eyes closed. After you meditate, we're doing some what I think most of your people would know as energy movement or Kundalini kind of exercises mm-hmm. and flipped over on my back. Other people are hopping around like frogs and they're getting energy rushes and stuff. And I flipped over my back. My feet went over is what I mean. I, my feet went over. Like in that yoga position that's called, a, I think it's called a plow or
0: something. Yes, yes. I
1: over, uh, and I'm and, I, and, I, and I'm lying there. First, I was sitting. That what happened? I don't, that happened, and then I'm lying there, and I and I started uh, feeling like I was being in pain, and I later realized maybe several hours after this started was going on uh, that I was being crucified upside down. So that was the first like, what the heck is going on? Experience that I'd had that was visual, it was physical, it was a lot of sensory stuff going on and obviously very emotional.
0: Wow. So did you piece that together? I mean, was that the aha moment or was it just, did was, you ever think I'm just kind of making this stuff up?
1: Well, that that's where I was at. I was there. Right. I, was, I, I, I think I was just making it up. I, I thought it was imagination. I was fantasizing this. What am I making this stuff up? I don't know. And I didn't really have any clue at that point that it I knew it was old, but I didn't know how old. I didn't know who or where or what other than I was experiencing what I just said. And so uh, <clears throat> and again, I was like you said, I was I, I was questioning whether I was just imagining that I was experiencing what I just said. Um, but then one after, after a like every day this was going on in the group meditations twice a day. So we would meditate in, up our room, in our rooms privately and then we would have a group meditation twice a day for about an hour or two hours each or something like that, pretty long. And so this would go on every time I had group meditation. This went on day after day after day during this two month um, meditation retreat. And I was off for a walk um, after lunch We would go regularly after lunch and dinner, we'd go for a walk to get some exercise besides doing the yoga positions we were doing during the day. Um, and, and so I mentioned the dream to my friend George that I had had six or eight months earlier that I had no conne- didn't think I had any connection with any of this. And I just said, George, I had this really bizarre dream. Uh, and I think that's all I told him. I was really upset, I think. I told him that. And then he finished the dream. He told me the whole dream, where, where I was, I was lying in a ditch in the side of the road. I was crying all night. And he told me what I was wearing, I, the sandals and this tunic on and blah, blah, blah. And I was all dirty. And he told me all the details of my dream that I'd had about six or eight months earlier back in Boston, Massachusetts, in my apartment. And I said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? How do you know this? And he said, well, you know, you say you've been being crucified upside down for the last, you know, couple of weeks or three weeks or whatever it was at that point. And up to that point, and, he sa- and I said, yeah. And he says, well, you don't know who you are? And I said, no. And he filled in the gaps because he had been, an altar boy since he was eight years old, went to all Catholic schools. So he had studied all this stuff about, he knew all about this biblical history that I didn't know anything about. So that's how that first, that was my first memory. And I realized, but even then, when he said that, Marla, I still was doubting it. I just thought, so I didn't have an aha moment yet. Even it was an aha moment in terms of like, you know, what the heck, how did he know this? And what is he talking about if right. you call a moment? But I didn't believe it yet.
0: Yeah. So when when did you start believing that? And how did that interweave into believing about the afterlife and reincarnation? If that's not too big of a question.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll try to dig into pieces and you can ask me okay. some questions. But okay. the thing is, it... it uh, I'll give you. I'll give you the end question, and I mean end answer, and then i will we'll come back and answer some pieces. But I don't really think that I had a really confirmation aha belief experience until 2020.
0: Wow!
1: So, think about 1977. I started having these experiences, and I've had like you, you know, as you know, in my book that you've read, it was like I've had like a gajillion experiences.
0: Gajillion. <laughs>
1: 19, I mean, 2020. So what is that? 1977 to 2020. Where that is a lot of years before I had a real outside confirmation. That's the William Baldridge story and the Charlie Lute story, right? Yes. Completely unbeknownst to me, in 1973, somebody's talking about my me and my past lives without mentioning my name, Kelvin Chin. And I'm when pres-
0: did you hear them? Can you just yeah tell us about that story a little bit?
1: So the 2020 story that I heard in 2020 <laughs> is, is from this guy, William Baldrige, who I didn't know till 2020. He found me on Facebook because he knows that I used to teach meditation with Maharishi's organization, and so did he. So there's a number of people who find me on Facebook that way, and they go, oh, Kelvin Chin taught meditation. So they become Facebook friends with me. And uh, But I didn't know him till 2020 when he did that, but then he heard about some of my past lives, because I teach this afterlife series where I talk about it. Anyway, he he heard that and he thought, oh, so you must have told Charlie Lutz in 1973 about your memories. And I said, no, I I didn't have any memories until 1977. They said, what are you talking about? And, and and so I knew who this Charlie Lutz guy was, but I never met him. I never talked to him. I never saw any of his lectures. I never read any of his lectures because he was in the spiritual arm of the TM organization. And those people who are like, you know, 60, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, if they're still alive, who were involved with Maharishi's organization in the 1960s and, and, and 70s, know who Charlie Lutz was because he was one of the first, he was basically the first, national leader of the TM organization when it wasn't called TM. It was called Spiritual Regeneration Movement, SRM. So that was that was him. I didn't get involved till 1970, which was still early on, but I got involved in the science and as I said, you know, research. I was in the research and all this stuff. And we were teaching in the army and schools. The last thing you want to tell the army and the generals are <laughs> In the army is spiritual stuff about past lives or angels or who knows, afterlife. They want stress reduction. So I was in the stress reduction arm of the TM organization.
0: Scientific it was- stress reduction. Yep,
1: that was it. <laughs> And we were actually instructed, me, the teachers in the stress redu- reduction arm of the organization uh, called International Meditation Society or Students International Meditation Society it was called we were instructed not to talk or, or, or associate with SRM with spiritual regeneration movement. That
0: Charlie is Lutz. so interesting to me. It's like, how can you have one without the other? It's oh, it just mind-blowing.
1: I'm telling you, it was explicit, the instructor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I took it as an order. Okay, I'll put it to you that way. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you did.
1: <laughs> Charlie Lutz, because we didn't want to screw up the fact that the schools were allowing us to teach meditation. The army, I was in all the army bases, the Air Force bases teaching and so forth. So so this guy, William Baldridge, in 2020, tells me that this guy, Charlie Lutz, was giving lectures every, evidently every week in Los Angeles about all kinds of this other stuff that we weren't allowed to really talk about, you know, past lives, angels, you know, afterlife and, you know, communication with the other side and all that. And so evidently he was doing that. And somebody in the audience asked him once in 1973, and I had Widge, William Baldridge, his nickname is Widge. I had him re- go back and research this when I was writing my book uh, to talk to his friends who were actually in the room when they heard you know, Charlie Lutz answer these questions in L.A. in 1973. And uh, they confirmed that somebody asked him a question. They asked him if... Anybody had walked with Jesus, who is, who is reincarnated now on planet Earth. And he said, yeah, there's this TM teacher who walked with Jesus. And oh, by the way, he also happened to be a military and political leader in Prussia. And his name was Frederick the Great, Frederick II. And I had had no memories of anything until 1977, I had no knowledge of this this story until 2020, three years ago. So to me, that was my aha moment three years ago, even though I'd had the memory of being a king of Prussia, 1978, I think. or It was either 78 or 79. I have the correct date in my book. But just back then is when I knew I was a king of Prussia, but not which one, with no details. And gradually, I got details over the subsequent 40 years. And, and I didn't know which king of Prussia until 2014. I connected the dots and realized it was Frederick II. And, I, and there's a whole following the breadcrumbs in my book of how I got to that through another lifetime where I realized it was this other person who revered Frederick the Great 1,600 years after this other person had died Frederick the Great revered the, six, the, the the person from 1600 years earlier and so forth. So I connected the dots <laughs> with the same. And I had already been, I'd had knowledge of both of those lifetimes, but not realizing I was both of those people. Does so that make sense?
0: You know, it's really interesting. Uh, well, it made sense to me. I don't know about our listeners, but I don't know if you remember this, but I met you in, it must have been 2020 at the. Yeah something of Prussia at IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And you were telling me about, because I, I, I think I was saying to you, I didn't even know where Prussia was. And you said, boy, do I have a story for you. And there was something, just really briefly, there was something about color, about a blue that was only the color of the people of Prussia or... Or something. Can you can you re- refresh my memory there? Yeah,
1: thanks for raising that. Yeah, so you and I met in 2019. It was August. Okay. Uh, last weekend in August, first weekend in September, August 9th, 2019, in King of Prussia. Yes,
0: yes. Who knew there was a place? Or I certainly didn't.
1: So, so the way I got to speak there, I'll answer your question in the, about the blue brochure in a second. Yeah, but that's
0: what it was. <laughs>
1: the blue brochure, right? So the way I got to the conference is this woman who was organizing it, Lilia. She
0: I know found, Lilia well.
1: She, she found me online, but she said she prayed to God to for somebody to come and speak who had a different perspective on things than the usual speakers that always came to the I am, right. I am and for those people who don't know, International Association for Near Death Studies. You can look up their website so So I spoke at, so Lilia contacted me and asked me to speak. That's how that happened. Okay. And so it just happened. So why was it in King of Prussia? Later, my friend George said, you know it's you know they're having a joke on the other side, our friends on the other side about this. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, look where it is. It's in King of Prussia. I said, oh my, I, I didn't even realize.
0: You didn't even put it together.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, right or that was the connection of King of Prussia. Because that's the first, first time I publicly came out. You heard me. You were in my small group breakout. You were one of the, whatever, 30, 40 people in there who heard me for the first time publicly say that I never. Interesting. Actually,
0: actually, we were alone. I didn't go to that breakout. Somehow you you and I ended up one-on-one and you you were telling me this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you were one of the first people I ever publicly said about being a King of Prussia and happened to be in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, because our friends in the other side whispered to Lilia. Anyway. So the, so the (laughs) um, brochure Lilia said, hey, do you have a brochure? Because you help people with overcoming the fear of death. You teach meditation. You got this. By then, at that point, I had this, you know, my only, I had one, one of my three books was out. So I had my Overcoming the Fear of Death book out. And so she said, you have all these things. You should put them on a different panel and brochure and you can put it in all the bags, you know, the. the
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: I said, oh, okay. So, so, so I created a brochure. And, 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 I, and a friend of mine, good friend of mine Sharon she's she um, had a nice brochure and I said, Sharon, how did you who did that? She says, oh, Vista print and Vista print for 20 bucks will give you a graphic designer for 20 bucks. I said, you need 20 bucks an hour She says, no 20 bucks flat fee. I'm like, what?" So I did it and and then I I talked with the graphic designer. I gave him the material and the photographs. He designed the whole thing he picked the color. I did not pick the color. So I he shows it to me. It's this nice blue brochure and with burnt, you know, like burnt gold around the pictures and the in the and the headings were lettering that's kind of, of a burnt gold kind of lettering. It looked nice. So um so I approved it. I'm alone in my apartment. I go to my kitchen to wash my breakfast dishes, and a voice from the other side. So people don't know me. That started this started happening in 1986. I started communicating spontaneous with the other side completely spontaneous. I didn't even believe in it and all of a sudden I start getting this stuff. anyway, so that's been going on since 1986. So in again in 2019, I get a voice from the other side and it says, hey, you know it's Prussian blue And I go what what's Prussian blue? So I do the issues and I go to my computer and I look is there a color called Prussian blue? Yeah, there's a color called Prussian blue. And you know when it was created? And who was wearing it? Frederick the Great's soldiers in the Prussian army. Oh
0: my Spanish gosh.
1: Army. Right? That's so, just... If you look at if you look closely at their uniforms, the there's burnt gold around here, <laughs> around the buttonholes and the cuffs and so forth. It's, 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 it's like what lo- this line, well, I don't know, these different. It's like your brochure. It's like brochure. Like, anyway, that's the brochure story. Crazy, wow, right?
0: Wow, wow, that is so crazy. So what, just to, um, to veer off just for a second, what do your friends think of all of this that you used to have back in law school? Or do, yeah, I mean, do you, does your community, that you surround your people with are they, are they kind of into all of this, all of this stuff? Because many people think it's pretty far out there, even though
1: I pretty- know
0: it to be true. But it's like it happened to you. You know yeah. it's real. How can I- you make? You can't make this stuff up.
1: I know. I know. I still think it's pretty far out there. I mean, it's like. It's normal to me, but it's still abnormal to me in a sense. Like, I can can live in both worlds in a sense. Yeah, yeah, Uh, exactly. my friends, uh, some of my friends think it's really far out there, and some of them embrace it, and some of them are into it, and some of them have had their own memories. Yeah, yeah. I have a whole range, but people know me. They know my science background. They know I'm a rational thinker, so they know I'm not crazy. Right. Uh, But they... So even the ones who don't really sort of, you know, buy it completely know that, well, they know that I believe it and they know that something happened they, and they, maybe they don't believe in my interpretation of it. And that's okay. I, I just, you know, I that's it. a
0: that's a great message to the world. You know, it's okay if you don't quite understand and it's okay if you might question a little bit, look at the integrity of the person and, um, just be curious, right? Or talk about something totally different. <laughs> but it's just, it's so fascinating.
1: And I don't bring it up to people who, to make them uncomfortable. And
0: oh, I of I, course not. Yeah.
1: If I have relatives who are not comfortable, uh, I'm not going to bring it up. I wait yeah. for that.
0: Absolutely. The- no, nobody. I don't talk about it with anyone hardly. It's some of the work that I do, but well, moving right along, um, so, how do these experiences come to you, and how would one, how, what would should others look for in terms of thinking, ah, oh, this, this might be a memory of a past life?
1: Yeah. Well, even before, I'll answer that question in a sec. But Before that, I think what people can start to look at is what I call recognition memories,
0: mm-hmm. where
1: you're up a deja
0: vu kind of. What's that? I said deja vu, kind of.
1: Deja vu, like on steroids. So it's like deja vu on steroids. It's like,
0: why the heck do I feel
1: like I've been here before? I know we've ne- I've never been here for the
0: Right, years. right.
1: What's up with this certain kind of music that I haven't really listened to or grown up with, and yet it just strikes me and I get emotional? So, So those are recognition memories. It could be place. It could be things. It could be um, it could be people. It could you know you have this connection with some people, and I think some of those are past life related. Would you yes. just something that's there and it's just automatic, and it's like you're finishing your the sentences and so forth, and and you, you you just met them. So there's a lot of this kind of stuff that I call recognition memories. Some of them might be, and some of them might not be related to past lives, but. The, 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 uh, the metrics that I suggest that people look through, look through is emotion. What, how yes. emotional is it? Does it strike you? Or is it just kind of more intellectual? That's not to say that some things that are just more mental and intellectual are not related to past lives because I've had plenty of those experiences too. But the emotion tends to be very much driven, our, our default emotional responses tend to be driven from the past, whether it's this lifetime or another lifetime. They're very often from our childhood, this lifetime, or even farther back as, mm. as well. So that's, you know, whether it's a recognition memory or whether it's a dream, because a lot of this has come to me in dreams at times or during a meditation experience where I'm not dreaming and I'm not sleeping and I'm not wide awake, but I'm in a in, in this kind of, you know, alpha twilight zone-ish state.
0: Yes, yes. Uh,
1: you know, the the more physical the sensations that ha- happen that, that you, you can actually feel. Sometimes, like I can feel the wielding of my sword, my broadsword in the Crusades of in my shoulder carriage. Still, it I can still feel what the musculature feels like when I'm going like that, and or with a battle axe. I mean, so that those kind of connections that are sensory taste touch smell physical like that you know um in addition to potentially visual or feeling oriented emotionally those are those are telltale signs i
0: think mm-hmm. um you know it's interesting because as you talk about this i think of um, my interviews with dr carol bowman and her young son i um, talking about a past life being in um the war war that was a long, long time ago. And, and he had so many um, memories of what you're saying, not just memories, but these things that he felt so deeply that he would remember in his life. And in that research that went on with Ian Stevenson of these children recalling past lives, even children coming to this incarnation with the, birthmarks or possibly even the scars of where they were they were hurt or even killed in another life and it's just it's just mind-boggling but it's just it's so interesting you know it just gives gets so much so much food for thought
1: yeah um, it, it can happen it does not always happen and and, and sometimes yeah. do you look the same and I have I have friends who, who 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 you look at them 5 you know like you know you know uh what 2500 years ago and you look at them now it's like oh, looks like look, they look, look like the same person. I don't have that for me yeah. in my known lifetimes I may have but that I don't know of but yeah. It,
0: right. It's, yeah, but right. And I didn't mean exactly look like them, but have those other sorts of things birth oh, like defects and, yeah, say- and those kinds of things. Yeah, I yeah. would say
1: in addition to what you're saying. Yeah.
0: Right, right. So um what do you feel this why did you decide? Why was it really important to you other than for you to get it out yourself for your own inner, you know, peace and just wanting to share? But what can others take away from all of these stories about just yeah. about life
1: yeah I'll, I'll tell you uh you because you, you, you're right i i didn't i i i, I just became public about this uh, pretty much around the ions conference so that's only what mm. or you know four. what about four years ago yeah um, so i've been ho- withholding this you know, i just talked to a small group of friends and, and you see at the beginning of my book, I kind of thank them for kind of keeping their mouths shut, basically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. I
1: really didn't think, why why would I bother talking about this stuff? So the reason I came out and started talking about it was not so much for me, although it was very cathartic writing this book. It was incredibly emotionally uh, emotional for me to write this book, but um, which is, I didn't anticipate it being so powerfully emotional for me. Mm, that says
0: a lot in itself, right?
1: Yeah, it really caught me by surprise, to be honest. Um, but the reason I decided to write the book was to help other people be more open about these things. Because I think if we start talking about these things more openly, then and more normally, let's say, um, it will we'll normalize it. Because to me, this is the reality of what happens when we die. There's There's a possibility of continuation i say possibility because well we continue but possibility of continuation in another lifetime is what i meant that you don't have to come back nobody's making you come back it's a choice now not everybody will think you know there was a choice but that's a whole other discussion of what choice is but but the main thing to answer your question that really i think i wanted to kind of get out there. And I, and I, and I and I talk about it briefly in the book, but I mainly allude to it obliquely because I don't want to make, my books are stories. This book is a story, a collection of stories. I did not want to make it a lecture. Like my, 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 my purple book, my, my middle book is, is more like lectures. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of 67 essays. I didn't want to make this book a bunch of lectures, but I'll give you a, a lecture point right now, since you asked me, which is, <laughs> I think what I really have learned in this journey of 6,000 years of recalling at least 6,000 years worth of, you know, a couple dozen lifetimes, is that we've been going around this, uh, going about this spirituality thing the wrong way. That's my takeaway. Again, I'm not here to lecture people about this. Sure. This This is my perception, this is my personal learning over the 6,000 years that, We've been trying to reform people spiritually, I think, in taking the wrong approach is what I mean when I say the wrong way, taking the wrong approach. And it, I think we've ignored, we've largely ignored the, the concept of free will that each individual mind has. And I'm talking about minds on this side, on the other side, it doesn't matter. On other planets, you know, I have one memory in my book about being on another planet and so forth, being myself li- in living on another planet. And so... It doesn't matter. We are minds, we are souls, spirit, consciousnesses, whatever you want to call us, and that we all have free will. And I think we've, on all different planets, I think not just Earth, but I think we've been taking this approach of the thou shalt approach, we'll call it. The, you know you should think this way, and you should think this way, because this is the spiritual way to think. And, and, and it's been a sometimes not so subtle forcing, sometimes very overt forcing of people to believe in a certain way. And I think that's that violation of free will. um, I think we've fooled ourselves into thinking that there's some will up here that we all need to comport to and conform to. And instead, my experience, because I've been on that other side of the fence in my different lifetimes as a spiritual leader. And I think now I view myself differently as a spiritual teacher in terms of I think a true spiritual leader respects people's free will and is there to teach people how to think more clearly mm-hmm. about their choices. To me, that's the ultimate of spirituality. Not whether you believe in angels, not whether you believe in God, not whether you believe in a divine this or that or the other thing. To me, spirituality, what I've learned over my these 6,000 years is, is, is that my... The best thing I can do spiritually for people is to help them make better decisions and think more clearly and, more, and discern where things are cognitively dissonant, meaning where things are do not make sense. Because otherwise, they'll get hoodwinked by somebody who tells them that they should believe mm-hmm. this or that.
0: It's really interesting. You know, I was having a conversation with a girlfriend of mine today, and she's made some really difficult choices over the past few years. And um, I go to, I call it the wisdom wheel, but the medicine wheel a lot, and not necessarily talking about her choices, but talking about where you are on the wheel and the growth the growth part of it, and then the encumbered state. So for people once like exactly what you're saying, become more aware about that, the choices they're making. And is it really good for them? It's, it's so personal. And, and it really is true. Um, people meet you where they are, not where you are. So you can't, you know, you can't force anything upon them, but I do find it interesting that you, um, You're you're out in the world of conferences and all of that more than I am, but I I haven't really seen that spiritual side where people are trying to tell people, even though everybody's saying meditate and do this and do that. There certainly is that part of it, but I hear what you're saying and, and I totally agree just to help others make possibly better choices or at least look at really deeply look at the choice they've made and see if it really, you know, rings, rings true for them, ring, rings right for them. That's well, in- even,
1: even at a spiritual conference where people are trying to convince others that there is an afterlife,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> let people experience and, and, and be open to that. If they're, curious, if they're curious, I talk about it with people. If people are not curious, I don't go there.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> the thing is, um, Jesus' definition of love comes into play here. And his definition of love, which has largely been lost historically, but his definition of love is to accept the other person for who they are, not who you wish they were. Yes. You're not going to try to mold them into, into your ideal image. Now, most people are involved in various relationships, whether they doesn't have to be a spiritual relation, it could be just be a friendship or anything and they and they generally are trying to mold the other person into their ideal image of who they want them to be. And that's not
0: <laughs> Oh, not me.
1: <laughs> <That's> not- <laughs> and nobody's perfect. So I'm not guessing yeah. you know, that I am perfect about this. Either. No,
0: no, not at all.
1: But but it but that's to me that's that's what we need to aspire to that type of love because right. what what he was saying is there's no such thing as unconditional love because love is unconditional. If it's unconditional love implies there's a conditional love and that's not love. I call that liking, Mm -hmm. that's I like you when you took the trash out, I don't like you because you didn't listen Mm -hmm. to me.
0: Right, right.
1: That's liking, that's not love. Love is accepting the other person for who they are and not trying to change them, which is a violation of their free will the way I was talking about it earlier. And, and that that acceptance of people embracing of who they are now the other part of the of his message that is largely missed and people may say how come he's talking about Jesus He said he was not he's not talking about religious stuff. Well Jesus was a, a spiritual teacher religious he was not a religious uh, person. He became a religious icon after he died. yes okay. this was a spiritual teacher. So the other aspect of Jesus' teaching that a lot of people miss is we judge the other person's behavior, but we don't judge who they are. We cannot judge them. What's their soul like? You know, we, you know, we, we haven't walked in their shoes. You know, what's their level of consciousness? That's, he would say that's a complete, number one, waste of time. And number two, you can't know. You can't know. And each person is still figuring themselves out. As you say, we're all growing still. But we can judge their behavior, he would say, and we do judge their behavior. And if their behavior is bad, then we act accordingly.
0: <laughs> Interesting.
1: Leave them leave them, see you later. You know, you're you're abusing me. So he this whole notion of turning the other cheek, he never said that. It's a violation of everything that he taught.
0: Right. So how does that tie in once again with? the the messages or the lessons that we've learned and and we always need to remember those lessons of, of Jesus how does that kind of tie in to this book that you wrote and all these about all of these past memories and the message that you really want to shout to the world
1: I think I think it's that we need to learn from ourselves yes we can learn. And get guidance from teachers and guides and so forth but that blind faith and blind following anybody whether it's me or anybody else is is is, is not what we should do because what is self-development other than one's one's own learning with oneself know thyself mm-hmm. that maxim and so that's the huge takeaway for me having started to pay attention many thousands of years ago to my own life experiences and what I could learn from all of my experiences. So that's what I suggest, again, as a suggestion to people in terms of how they can look at themselves and self-reflect and what can they learn about their past. right? Right. Whether people believe in past lives or have experiences about past lives doesn't matter so much because we all have a past. And we have past from yesterday and the day before and the week before and 20 years and 40 years ago, in this lifetime and so learn from it what can we learn what can we and and by learning from these experiences um what 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 helps us be more contented and more inwardly at peace that's developing uh more alignment with our pursuit of happiness which i think is the meaning of life
0: you know i think a great example of what of what you just said is um the memory of one of your past lives of not protecting the native people in the 1800s, especially the women and the children. And you talked a little bit about how that shows up in your personality today. And I think that kind of wraps up everything you just said. So can you just elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a very emotional one for me still.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's recent it's in the 1800s <clears throat> so it's pretty recent and it's still going on to some extent today and uh and outside of the native community uh, I was a native leader then in the 1800s and I was uh unsuccessful I was unsuccessful in saving the culture of my native people um. One of the things that I that still drives me today and still bothers me today, and even when I hear about women and children being abused, is is this protection of women and children that actually goes back even before the 1800s. There's there's instances historically known instances of me in some of my other lifetimes being very protective of women and children as far back as at least two thousand years ago. But the one from the 1800s, because it's so recent, uh, in my, you know, in history, uh, is is much more raw to me than the one obviously from 2,000 years ago and, and back then. Um, <clears throat> but there are examples of me saving women and children, of the confe- of the uh, of the soldiers of the uh, blue coats we call them, you know the the uh, the U.S. cavalry soldiers. Um, and and sending them back to the fort where my own tribal leadership wanted me and wanted me to give the green light basically to uh, rape and murder them in the way they had raped, and the soldiers had raped and murdered our women and children immediately prior to that. And I said, no, I said, we are not animals like them. We are a civilized people. We are not animals like them and we will not behave like them. And I disallowed that to happen in this stories and it's recounted historically and so forth to, to much to the, <clears throat> you know, great anger of the other tribal leaders in, in, in our Lakota, in our Lakota, um, uh, na- we call ourselves a, heaven, a nation, but you, you, know, you most people refer to it as a tribe. Um, and they've left deep impressions in me. And And, and as I said earlier a few minutes ago, my deepest regret is still that I was not able to save the culture because, you know, it, you start to realize you're up against what? The technology of the. US government and the, 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 um, the firearms, the, um, the, uh, the the numbers of white settlers coming west and so forth. And then the the strategic uh, decimation of our food source—not just our food, but food, clothing, we, you know, our our our, our shelter. Uh, we used almost every every bone and piece of flesh and s- skin and sinew. Literally, we used to you know sew with it and so forth of of the bison. And and the population went from sixty million bison in. In 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 what we call the United States, sixty million to five hundred and forty-one bison in less than hundred years.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Most of those most of, those, most of that happened between eighteen forty and eighteen ninety, in fifty years. Sixty million. The, each bison. People don't realize how big a bison was. You know, bison males could be as big as twenty five hundred pounds. You know, they were like fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred pounds per animal. We used every Every bone, blood, every ounce of blood, everything for our sustenance and our clothing and shelter and everything, and the U.S. government went out and and, and, and hired people to kill, uh, kill them, and so you know that started starving us. Of course, it it taught me a lot. That and then other in my crusader lifetime too, with the Pope, that's a whole other story. Taught me um, a lot of. Th- about politics I learned a lot about politics through my many lifetimes and how uh and how how difficult it is to bring people together um yeah
0: you and know, how does this relate to today that you do you have a special like soft spot today for
1: yeah yeah special soft spot and I also today, those some people know a little bit about my, 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 my legal and business history, I've mediated over 500 cases in my life, this lifetime. So I was, I I took a, taken a tact instead of fighting in conflicts to try to see where the overlap of the Venn diagram is and see if we can work out um, some settlement. That said, I did that in the 1800s and was unsuccessful because One party, the US government, was negotiating in bad faith. So, you know, that what I what I realized from that lifetime is this full circle back to we talked about earlier, free will. And I could not control the minds, the many minds involved in the US government. Not just the soldiers' minds, but there were the the government minds and so forth. There were thousands of minds that I could not control in that situation. I've learned from that. And so I have come to a place of peace within myself this lifetime now, where I am not in a thou shalt mode, come back full circle to what we talked about earlier. I am in a teaching mode to try to teach concepts to people to help them move forward in a more productive way in their lives, in the continual present. I'm planting seeds, hoping that these seeds will germinate over the next 500 to 1,000 to 500,000 years in people's minds so that they will try to make choices that are more kind and less cruel, which is put in mm-hmm. the two categories. And that they're more, we say, loving and less, you know, narcissistic.
0: Yes. It, one almost, or I almost have to think that. One reason that all of these lifetimes have opened up to you is because the universe knew that you would really listen and do something with them to help humanity. And that's exactly what you're doing. So that's, um, I do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, this lifetime, I have some memories of being on the other side with a little bit of a soul plan with some, some of my old friends from thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, and your
0: daughter and your daughter, I, but we can't really get, we need to like wrap it up, but definitely read Calvin's book. It is, it is a story. It's many stories and it's just, it is fascinating. And as you can see, it's still very, very emotional. Some of those, some of those memories, and I know exactly what you mean. When something comes up, it seems like out of the blue, and you just find yourself weepy and just so emotionally charged. It's, oh. it's it definitely means something. So, well, Calvin, thank you so much for coming on this show. Is, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to say about your, your beautiful new book?
1: Oh, just, to, just that I, as I said earlier, I, I encourage people to look at themselves as students of life mm-hmm. and nobody has things figured out. Everybody's trying to figure everything out still, that there's no perfection. Don't hold yourself to a state of perfection. Be easy and kind with yourself and, and, and not too harsh with yourself, but learn, learn from it, learn from our mistakes and and move forward from them but learn with that greater self-knowledge that's that's the takeaway i think from the book and and uh in in i hope i've elucidated that through the stories in different ways about how i've learned about my own personality which seems to continue from lifetime to lifetime and can change and express itself in different ways at different in different lifetimes as well but
0: yes i found that really i'm sorry go ahead
1: no, pretty much fundamentally stays the same, but can be expressed in different ways. At different right,
0: times. I found that really fascinating um, because you know all the near-death experiencers say, "I was still me; everything was exactly. I was just bigger and more real, and and just that the personality. You know, you may make different decisions, but it it definitely weaves a, a thread throughout all your past lives. So, once again, his. Book is called After the Afterlife: Memories of My Past Lives, and I suggest you go out and get that. And and Kelvin, if somebody wants to find you, um, how would they do that?
1: Probably the easiest thing is just to go to Kelvinchin.org. It's my nonprofit, Kelvinchin.org. I have four different websites, but that's probably the <laughs> my name.
0: Okay, great. The
1: and it'll get you to the other ones. But Kelvinchin.org, and you can go on the contact page and send me an email and I do a free session with people worldwide. I have clients now in 64 countries. Wow. And so I do a free session with people just to help them in whatever area that I, that I'm working in that that may help them.
0: Great. Great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do for the world.
1: Thanks. Okay.
0: Bye-bye.